You know, all of us are keeping tabs on the curve, right? All of us are wondering if we'll come down with this virus. We're wondering how long this will go on for. Uh, We move in and out of loneliness and depression. We move in and out of anxiety and stress and fear. But the Bible gives us an entire songbook to lean on, songs to sing in the face of our greatest fears and frustrations. The question I have for us, church, is what song will you sing in the face of this pandemic? Let's look at Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Father, I pray that you would put a song in our hearts. You know it's been my prayer all week long that you would put a song in our hearts, a song of praise, a song of hope, a song of your unfailing love. Lord, thank you for Psalm 130, the truths that we've just read. God, we pray that they would sink deep into our hearts, that they would not only, uh, Lord, be with us today, but I pray we'd carry this song with us throughout the week and the, 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 the upcoming weeks and months. Lord, help us to lean on this song in a very special way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two things, uh, church, that I pray we see in Psalm 130 this morning. First, we need to start right where we are, in a place of desperation. How do we sing these songs of praise to the Lord? How do we sing these songs, this song, uh, in the face of this pandemic? Start right where you are, in a place of desperation. And second, end in a place of expectation. So first, start where you are, in a place of desperation. Yeah, I have to be honest here. This past Tuesday was really a low point for me. You know, we've all kind of moved in and out of of feeling anxious and stressed. But truth is, I couldn't rest my thoughts pretty much all day. And I had what felt like just a thousand things going on in my head at once. And then I felt like I was just moving in slow motion whenever I tried to actually get something done. You ever been there? That's where I was Tuesday. I was overwhelmed. I was stressed. I tried to play it off. I tried to switch gears. I prayed a sentence or two, but then I just put my head down and pressed into my responsibilities. And by the end of the day, Val and the kids, they both recognized it. And so Val just said, hey, can we pray for you? I think they'd had enough. (laughs) I said, sure. Please. And then after they prayed for me, she said, will you please go to bed? (laughs) You need to sleep. And she was right. I needed to sleep. But before I fell asleep on Tuesday night, I was wrestling. I was thinking about the day. I was thinking about how really uh, poor of a husband and a a father I had been that day. Um, Battling shame, battling guilt, battling the, the lies of the enemy and the temptation of the flesh in those moments. And so I got up. I went into my kid's bedroom just as they're about to fall asleep. And I woke them up. And I probably freaked them out a little bit. 
and I just asked them to forgive me. And then I went into this little office area that we have, and I just got on my face before the Lord, and this psalm is what came to mind. Psalm 130. And I'm thankful for this psalm. I was in a place of desperation before the Lord. I had responsibilities the next day that I really didn't even feel qualified to walk in due to the way I had behaved all that day. How do you approach God when you feel spiritually numb? How do you approach God when you feel emotionally shot, depressed, or troubled? How do you approach God when you feel weighed down by fear or overwhelmed by stress and anxiety? How do you approach God when the internal agony is so real, I'm talking so deep and painful that you begin to wonder if there's something wrong with you, like, like legitimately? How do you approach God in the face of a pandemic? The psalmist isn't exaggerating when he actually says, out of the depths I cry to you. The word depths here suggests a sea of trouble. The psalmist is really in over his head as if he's drowning. That's why I said, just start where you are. You feel like you're in over your head? You feel like you're in a place of drowning? You feel like you're in a place of desperation? Just start where you are. That's where I had to start Tuesday night, 11.30 at night, when I'm on my face in my office, feeling completely out of control, desperate before the Lord to, to work in my heart. Where else could I go? Where else could I start? Start where you are. Start in that place of desperation. You know, sometimes the Lord will use times like this, like this, what we're facing. Sometimes the Lord will use times like this to shake us out of a place of indifference, to shake us out of a place of apathy or that comfortable, sheltered, cocoon-like existence that we can really not realize we've fallen into. Just that routine, that daily routine that we think, oh, we're good, we're fine. We're walking with the Lord, but in reality, potentially, the Lord is really more of a, a peripheral thing. He's on the sidelines. He's not central. And it's times like this that can remind us, that, that, wow, wait a minute. Put things into perspective and help shake us out of that cocoon-like existence. The depths, trials, and troubles, they have a way of revealing self-sufficiency like nothing else. Self-sufficiency is dangerous. It, it really is. And, and it's actually debilitating and it's prayer squashing <laughs> when you think about it. When things are just fine, when we're tempted to ignore God. Like, hey, we're good. Going about our day. This passage in Hosea reminds us of how uh, dangerous of a place that really is. Hosea 13 verse 6 the prophet Hosea to the nation of Israel uh, is speaking for God. God is actually speaking through Hosea. And, and he says this, When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. And then they forgot me. That, that literally sends shivers up my spine. God provided for them. They became satisfied and proud. And then they forgot the one who provided for them. And that is a cyclical pattern throughout Scripture within God's people. And so that, that could be true of us. Could be true of us. We can fall into that pattern. 
So the psalmist makes a request, though, for one thing. Back to Psalm 130. The psalmist makes a request for mercy. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is the undeserved favor of the Lord. It's his kindness, his compassion. Uh, That's what the psalmist is asking for. He's saying, give me what I don't deserve, but what I desperately need in this moment. Give me what I don't deserve, but what I desperately need. And so here, in this song of praise, we're actually learning something about prayer. Because the psalms are songs, but they're also, there are these requests, they're, they're prayers. And so we're learning how to pray. And maybe you might think that prayer is what people do when they're, they're doing their best. You know, that 100% emoji. I'm doing great. Things are great, so I'm going to pray. No. No. Or maybe you feel awkward when you pray. You're like, I don't even know what words to say. I feel like, you know, just, I can't even get the words out when I'm trying to pray. It feels awkward. Listen, the Psalms are anything but polished. I don't know if you've noticed this about some of the Psalms. They're just just brutally honest with God. They're, They're certainly not polite at times. So can you cry for help? Can you cry for help? Can you cry for mercy? Are you in a place of desperation? Learn from the psalmist and ask for mercy. You ever been in that place where you just needed help? You're about to drop something in the kitchen? Maybe you're, you're holding a bunch of uh, plates or something and it's just too much. You try to bring stuff from the table to the sink. You're like, hey, hey, help, help. I need help. I'm gonna drop this. You know how to cry for help in that moment. Or if your kid starts to walk off towards the, uh, towards the road and, and, and you can't get to them because you're playing a video game. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, but you get the idea. Something's happening and you need help. I don't, I'm not a gamer. just want you to know I'm not a gamer. Okay. After crying out for mercy, the psalmist's thoughts then are what? They're driven to the greatest display of God's mercy that we could ever imagine. What happens next? If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. If the Lord kept a record of sins, oh my, who could stand? No one. You kidding me? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. First John reminds us, if, if we say we have not sinned, I mean, we're, we're a liar. We've all sinned. But if we confess our sins, oh, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Wow. He says, but with you there is forgiveness. And the ESV says, therefore you are feared. So the ESV translation, uh, therefore you are feared. The NIV says you are revered. The same idea, but listen, he doesn't keep a record of wrong. Uh, That's what the psalmist is getting at. There's no record that he's holding against us, this record of wrong. In other words, he's not holding this list of sins over our heads, and there's this tendency that we have to impose upon God things that we would do, like keep a record of wrong. Other people's and our own. So there's a tendency to impose upon God the things that we would do. But God is not ignoring sin. I don't want you to think that. But he does forgive. He forgives, and he does not keep a record of wrong. And you might step back and say, man, Darren, this is too good to be true. Are you you for real? And and that's when you're starting to understand grace, when, when it hits you that way. When it feels too good to be true. When you're thinking, no way then you're starting to understand mercy. Then you're starting to understand God's compassion and grace. 
And I think it's good for us to have that response. Like, really? He's not holding anything over me? Well, how? Good question to ask. You know, many of you can look back at choices that you've made that you had no idea would produce such an awful consequence in your life. And you're grieved by it. Comes up in your thoughts even now as I speak it. You struggle with regret. You struggle with fear, disillusionment, the feeling of loss. Now, some of you are compromising your faith as a result. You're giving in to temptation that you know you shouldn't as a result of past experience and sins and shame that just weighs over you. This record of wrong that you've held even against yourself. So you're like, well, what's, what's the point then? I'm just going to move forward. You're living in the shadow of what you've done, and it's a dark shadow. I want you to know God's forgiveness personally. I want you to experience it, his love and grace. To be so convinced of his love for you that it has this transforming effect. To be so gripped by the righteousness of Jesus that is yours by faith. The the rightness, the full obedience of Jesus that is ours by faith in Jesus. Do you see what happens? He became sin for us, right? So So that we could be forgiven Our sins completely punished in Christ and so that his obedience then would become ours. So that now I stand cleansed before a holy God based on the rightness, the righteousness of Jesus. His finished work, his perfect life lived for me, his death on the cross and his resurrection. This good news of redemption and reconciliation. So instead of this dark shadow of shame and this record of wrong that you're holding and that you're living under, I want you to live under the shadow of the cross. The shadow of the redeeming work of Jesus. His shed blood for you. That's my prayer. Shame has a paralyzing effect on us. I don't want us to have just a head knowledge, church. I want it to be a deeply experiential knowledge of God's love. Let's look at another song Psalm 103. We'll come back to Psalm 130 in a moment. Let's look at Psalm 103. Beginning in verse 1. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our our transgressions from us. Listen, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. We'll stop there. What a song. What a song. 
Have you ever tried to share a song with somebody that you heard maybe on iTunes or, and you're just thinking, man, that one part. Yeah, I'm a musician, so I, I'll oftentimes just try to show a, a particular part of a song to someone and, 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 and maybe they just don't really, they're not tracking. They don't, they don't hear what I'm hearing. They're not as at least moved by the part I'm trying to point out. But I've got a couple friends that I'll, I'll text a song to and I'll be like, hey, listen, 30 seconds in, snare. You're welcome. And then they usually text back some nice emojis and I feel good. And we had a little interaction. And I know that they know that is an amazing part in that song. But so often we might share something with someone and they just don't, they're not tracking. The song doesn't do as much for them. It's not a big deal. I want this song to be a big deal to you. And there's a particular part in Psalm 130 that I want us to really make a big deal about. I want you to hear it again. Verse 3. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. You are not simply tolerated by God. You are forgiven. You are accepted and loved. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, sins are completely forgiven. And, and then verse 4 talks about this reverence or this fear. Therefore, you are feared or we walk in this reverence. We serve you with reverence. Why, why does this forgiveness produce reverence or fear? What's that about? It's producing a sense of awe and worship. It's producing obedience that flows out of this recognition that he alone is holy, that God alone is perfect and just, that he alone removes the stain of sin. No, no one else can do it. So it should produce in us a, a recognition of, of who he is, of his holiness, and it should produce in us a life response. We are to walk in love and fear. A love for God, a fear of God, a, a reverence, a holy reverence, a desire to obey him and walk according to his ways. A recognition that he is the only holy one who can forgive sin, and he's provided a way for it. It's a fear that drives us to him, not away from him. It drives us trembling in awe, in, in awe humbled, and in reverent submission. Maybe you've never experienced that with the Lord. I, I've been praying for you that, that you would experience it. I, I knew what this psalm was saying, obviously, before I was talking to you about it. And my hope is that you would not only be so moved by God's forgiveness and love, but that you would be moved by his holiness. That you'd be, become aware of your sinfulness and what you deserve, but of the grace that's been shown. And that you'd walk in reverence, that you'd walk in humility before the Lord. Start right where you are, a place of desperation. Second, end with what is true of God a place of expectation. What does he go on to say? I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. He says in verse five, my whole being waits. 
And in his word, I put my hope. Waiting for the psalmist is, is not inactivity. There's something behind his waiting. He's putting his hope somewhere. The psalmist's hope finds a place of rest. Behind the psalmist expressed hope in the word of God is this confidence in the character or the nature of God. He says, it's, it's in your word that I put my hope. Well, how can anyone uh, put their hope in someone's word unless they understand uh, the character behind the one who spoke that word? And so here the psalmist understands, my hope is in your word, and behind that hope in his word is the psalmist's hope in God's character. He knows God's character. He knows God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. He knows that God is faithful. So because of what the psalmist knew of God, he could wait for him. He could wait. Knowing why, knowing why you can wait is critical. Why can you look at the darkest moments of life right in the face and not accuse God of wrongdoing? Why can you, in the midst of crisis and disappointment and disaster, even in the face of this pandemic, why can you rest unafraid, unafraid in God? Why? Can you? You can, but why can you? Because of his word, because of his character that backs up his word, because of his promises that have been met. And for us, thousands of years later, we see it even clearer in Jesus. You know, it's interesting, Hebrews 11, we won't turn there, but it gives us this great list of men and women whose faith was anything but stagnant. Oh, they teach us how to wait well. And they had this vision of God that changed the course of their lives. They believed they believed, they had faith, and that faith led to obedience, even when it didn't always visibly pay off. Because faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen, but has been promised by God, will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. My whole being waits. My whole being you know, it's never easy to wait. Kids know. Kids of all ages know this. And it's hard for them to wait. Anyone placed on hold with Spectrum knows this. It's really hard to wait. Anyone getting ready to be married or graduate, it's hard to wait. The waiting room experience of life. You ever been there? I mean, we've all been there. I remember sitting actually in an actual waiting room in the hospital, the smell of cheese puffs, you know, reality TV constantly playing at a volume that is really annoying, Dr. Pepper spilled on the floor, and then that, that, that second hand, that evil second hand that I could hear constantly. And I'm waiting for someone to come through that door and give me hope. That's how life can feel sometimes. Maybe it feels that way for you right now. The truth is, waiting involves groaning. Romans 8 reminds us, it says in, in 8, 22 and, and 23, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. It goes on to say, we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly 
as we wait eagerly, we're waiting eagerly for, the adopt, for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. All of creation is groaning. All of creation is waiting for the day when sin will be completely eradicated, tears wiped away, death no more. As in the pains of childbirth. We hurt, we suffer, we get discouraged. It's easy for us to become impatient, to begin demanding uh, answers from God. It's easy to forget what was promised to begin with. And it's easy to stop leaning on God's past faithfulness and on fulfilled promises. It's easy. So what happens when everyone else seems to be moving on and the waiting has ceased for them? What happens when you, the single person, you want to get married and there's, there are, there's just no one in sight? What happens for you? You can't have children as a couple and you want children or you've lost your job or when things just aren't going the way you thought they would go or when things just aren't the way they're supposed to be. You're facing injustice maybe of all kinds or maybe just in the midst of this pandemic, you're just like, man, Lord, what's going on? I want things to be back the way they used to be, Lord. And the truth is, church, they will never be the way they used to be. In those moments of waiting and groaning, are you going to take things into your own hands? Are you going to run away from God or are you going to run to God? Are you going to try to escape? Where are you going with your desperation? Where are you going with your fear and anxiety? Or will you place your hope in God's word? Will you place your hope in God's word? It's as if the whole world is unraveling. You know that. So what's the game plan? What are we going to do? Verse 6 of Psalm 130. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. If you hear these watchmen, this, this, this uh, description of watchmen, they're just peering into the darkness from the watchtower. They're longing for daylight and for the threat of attack and danger to be done with, right? They're just more than watchmen waiting for the morning. There's this eagerness. Man, son, I can't wait for you to rise so that our job here is done. There's no more threat uh, before us. And it's this repeated refrain. It's a poetic device. It's emphasizing enthusiasm, just like we would in repeating a refrain in songs we sing today. Each moment, though, in this is just another moment towards the sunrise. And so hope is building as the song progresses on. The psalmist moves from that place of desperation that he began with to a place of sweet expectation. And that has been my prayer for you. You can move from a place of desperation. You can move from a place like Tuesday night where I was to a place of expectation. We don't have to stay in that place of desperation. And though we might, we might, we might come out of that place of desperation and then be in a place of expectation, then fall back into a place of desperation, we can continue to look to God and find that place of expectation, that sweet expectation. Uh, there's a story in Acts chapter 16, and it's one of my favorite in the, in the book of Acts. Um, and Paul and Silas are on mission in the city of Philippi. They're preaching the gospel, and they are imprisoned uh, they disrupted things, you know, they disrupted the sales, uh, I believe, of, of, of idols and, and this sort of thing. People were falsely accusing them. So they were locked, not only in prison, but in, in the inner cell of this prison. And it was the midnight hour, and they were, I imagine that they were, they were actually, at the, they were in chains. I'm sure they were in pitch darkness. And it was in that midnight hour where they started to do something that was, I'm sure, strange to the other prisoners. 
they started to sing. They started to sing hymns of praise to God. So in the face of uncertainty, listen, in the face of not knowing what the next day held for them, in the face of not knowing if those who beat them up that day would walk into the cell with an axe and take their heads off, what'd they do? They sang. They sang. So here's what they did know. They knew a certainty that brought peace and rest in that hour. And that's the certainty I want you to know. That's the certainty I I want us as a church to walk in. We really don't know what tomorrow holds, but we can trust the one who does. The other prisoners, they didn't hear complaining and grumbling from uh, from, from Paul and Silas. What they heard was this song sung in the face of fear, in the midst of the darkness. The psalm that we've been exploring, Psalm 130, it ends with this personal invitation. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. This personal invite. The psalmist moved from this desperation to this place of expectation, so much so he puts the invite out to the whole, uh, to the whole nation. Put your hope in the Lord. Church, put your hope in Christ. Let's move forward with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hope always has a place of rest. Where is your hope resting? Where have you placed your hope today? When all around is sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All around is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock we stand. We're not denying the events. We're not closing our eyes to the circumstances, to the pandemic. We're not doing any of that. We're seeing this as an opportunity to trust the Lord in a way maybe we we haven't before. But certainly in a way we need to as we move forward. He himself, it says in verse 8, will redeem Israel from all their sins. I have some good news. He himself, he has. He has redeemed. He has redeemed all those who by faith look to Jesus. He has redeemed through Christ Jesus. I want to end this morning with our uh, attention turned to the New Testament in Titus chapter 2. It says this in chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. What is this grace? It's Jesus. The kindness, the undeserved favor of God, it has appeared. Jesus has appeared. In verse 12, it teaches us this grace that has appeared to us. This grace teaches us, we respond to it by saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives right now in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, to buy us out of, uh, to, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. 
So church, here we are. What are we going to lean on? How are we going to wait? What are we going to say no to? No to ungodliness and worldly passions. We're going to say yes to a self-controlled and upright life right now as we wait. As we wait for what? The blessed hope of Christ, our King and our God, who will come and who will return, who will appear in glory, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people eager to do good. The time is now. The time is now to put all of our hope here, to move forward with expectation. God, what would you do? How would you work in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this pandemic? How would you use us as your people to be eager for good works, to say no to ungodliness, to live a self-controlled, upright life as we wait and as we place our hope in you? How will you use us? Church, I don't know where you've, where you've fallen, where, where, where you've been this week. If you've been in a place of desperation or expectation, my guess is that we're going to move in and out of that But would you do this? When you find yourself in a place of desperation, will you start right where you are and cry out for mercy? And would you let Psalm 130 be the song that you sing in the midst of this pandemic? And would you let it bring you to a place of expectation and hope? Let it remind you of sins forgiven. Let it remind you of covenant love. Let it remind you of our great Redeemer. Let it point you to Jesus ultimately. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much. For this time together help us to sing help us to sing together help us to sing in the midst of our midnight hour when all around is sinking sand god may your unfailing love be in our sights may your unfailing love expressed in jesus may your redemption expressed in jesus may the forgiveness of sins in christ be within our sights may we fix our eyes on him Lord, help us to do that as a church. Lord, I pray for those who are in that place of desperation. Lord, I pray that they would cry out for mercy today. That they'd start right where they are. And that they'd walk through this psalm and, and let it bring them to a place of expectation. Kindly reminding them of what you've accomplished in Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.